welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Monday. It is the 9th of April, and I am talking to you from beautiful downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Hello, Cleveland! I am uh, in the hotel room, so I'm a little, I'm a, it's early and I'm afraid to get too loud. So if you hear me whispering a little bit, it's because I don't want to angry neighbor pounding on the wall but it is uh, a monday i am in cleveland kevin smith and i are going to be doing hollywood babylon tonight at the house of blues here in cleveland so i got into town last night and i gotta tell you it is uh, it's a great city cleveland gets a bad rap but uh, so far i'm really enjoying myself i am doing the ralph report from here today and tomorrow so uh, the first time i'm doing ralph reports on the road we'll see how this goes but because it's a monday You know what I like to do? I like to tell you how my weekend went and, more importantly, the five things I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. These are the top five things I learned this weekend, starting with number five. Number five. Taco Bell has to start featuring people in its commercials that look like they eat at Taco Bell. Next time you see a Taco Bell commercial, look at the people in the commercial that look like they're leaving a CrossFit studio, not a Taco Bell. And then go, go to a Taco Bell and see who's eating in there. I think there should be some sort of truth in advertising law when it comes to people featured in commercials for fast food restaurants, that they have to look like the kind of people we all see eating in those restaurants. That is number five for me this weekend. I noticed on television... Number four. Number four. It was my kid's birthday party for her classmates this past weekend. And uh, the party that we threw for her, we had a bunch of her schoolmates over. It was a sleepover. But during the day, the actual party part of the day was a puppy party. Now, I didn't even know you could do this. I didn't know this was a thing until my wife put it together. But apparently there are people who uh, mostly, I think, uh, rescues and people who are trying to raise awareness for puppy adoption and dog adoption, they will come and bring a dozen puppies to your party, and they will set up a little pen, and you put the, the kids inside the pen, and then you put the puppies inside the pen, and you just watch the magic. And it struck me, and I learned this this weekend, that puppies are nature's perfect package of happiness. There is no way to be unhappy when you are in the presence of puppies and then when you get to hold one or one is jumping on you or sitting on your lap or licking you or anything that puppy does in your vicinity instant happiness it's magic it's we need to tap into whatever they have and distill it and put it in a capsule because it's it's the ultimate antidepressant nothing is better than puppies And at the same party this weekend, it's where I learned number three. Number three. There were a dozen kids at my house, all uh, girls, second grade girls, my kids' classmates. And I don't know, uh, 10 of them or so stayed overnight as well. And what what blew me away was how uh, polite and well-mannered and respectful these seven and eight-year-old girls were. And I know most of their parents, you know, when you go to school with, uh, when your kid goes to school and you get to meet the other parents, you get to know them. So I know their families. So I wasn't surprised that they're well-behaved kids, but I am surprised by how many 
asshole kids there are in the world. How many brats are out there in the world? When it struck me, and I learned this this weekend, that your primary job as a parent is to make sure your kid's not an asshole. Everything else falls into second place. That is the prime directive when you're raising a child. Because if you think about it, yes, education is important and talents and skills. And I know a lot of kids who have four or five different classes they're taking and they're, they're taking violin and gymnastics. But if the kid is an asshole, if he or she is disrespectful or obnoxious or entitled or a brat, that nothing they learn, nothing they master, no skill will be able to compensate for that in their life because they'll always be known as the asshole. And even if they go to a prestigious Ivy League school and they, they work for a high-powered law firm, they're still going to be an asshole and everyone will hate them. And you have failed as a parent if, you, if your kid's an asshole. So that is, that's what I learned is that your primary responsibility as a parent is to make sure your kid is decent and kind and respectful and polite. And those skills will go further than anything else they can learn on any other level. So don't raise an asshole. Number two. Number two was uh, something I learned on the flight here to Cleveland. And I've noticed this before, but really was driven home uh, last night when I saw someone trying to bring the entire contents of their home in carry-ons onto a plane. Listen, just check your fucking bag. Just do it. I don't know when it happened, but travelers got just averse to the concept of checking a bag. Maybe it started when uh, airlines started to charge fees for checking their bags or whatever it is. But learn how to pack or check your giant fucking bag because it's a nightmare. I was smacked in the head three times by a guy who was trying to bring a, a carry-on the size of a VW Beetle and put it in the overhead. Not everything can be carried on. Either pack smaller into a reasonable size carry-on or check the fucking bag and pay the $20 or whatever it is. Just suck it up. You're, you're a big boy, so you have to check your bag. And you, you don't want to wait for it on the other end. Your life is so precious that you can't wait 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes to get your bag out of, off the carousel. Stop it. Number one. And then the number one thing I learned this weekend. On uh, the 15th of this month, April 15th, there's going to be an award show called the ACMs, the Academy of Country Music Awards. And I'd never even heard of these goddamn awards, the ACMs. And I said, don't, isn't there another one? The CMAs, that's the Country Music Awards, right? No, this is the ACMs. That can't be right. Oh, wait a minute. What about the CMTs? And then it struck me. How many fucking award shows do you need for country music? And I did a little research. And there are the CMAs, the Country Music Association Awards, the ACMs that I just mentioned, the Academy of Country Music, the CMTs, which is an award they just give out on the network CMT, which used to be Country Music Television, the ACAs from the American Country Awards, the ACCs, the American Country Countdown Awards, the AMAs, the Americana Music Awards, and even they have them in England, the BCMAs, the British Country Music Awards. That's at least seven fucking award shows for country music. No one genre of music needs seven award shows. Stop it. It's too goddamn many. I think, as far as I know, uh, BET Awards are the only ones that go to hip-hop. 
And Rock doesn't even get there. Everyone else just has to suck it up and go to the Grammys. So stop it. Country music, really? Is it that just wonderfully popular? We need seven fucking award shows on television for the Country Music Awards? No. Stop it. And those are the top five things I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. You know what else hit me this weekend is that I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg's an asshole. I'm getting the sense, don't you? I mean, if you watch that movie, the Facebook movie, what was the one with uh, Jesse Eisenberg? You got the sense that he was an asshole. And I think we all forgot about that. And we, um, we just went about our business and we all liked Facebook and we all liked using it. So we just forgot that he was an asshole. But the more and more I hear about this uh, personal data that has been harvested by Facebook's 2 billion users for all kinds of nefarious ends and uh, to make him richer, um, the less I like him. And it seems like he doesn't give a fuck. And he's pretending that he does, which is even shittier. Um, this week, he's going to be in front of Congress answering some questions. And I really was not well-informed on this subject. And I don't know whether you are or not, how closely you've been following it. But I thought it might do us all some good to uh, talk about it. So I reached out once again to the member of the Garmy, Scott Prince, who was on a while back. You may remember he was explaining the cloud to me. He is my go-to guy when it comes to things, all things digital. And so I brought him in to talk about what's going to be happening this week when Mark Zuckerberg faces Congress and what exactly has been going on with Facebook and who is Cambridge Analytica and what do they know about us. Here's my conversation with Scott Prince. If you're like me, you're wondering just what the hell's going on with Facebook. Should I get pissed off? Should I delete my account? What's happening with Zuckerberg? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? What kind of information do they have? So many questions. And so I knew it was time to talk to our Duke of Digital, Mr. Scott Prince. Scott, thanks for spending some time with us, man. Thank you, Ralph. Looking forward to it. Um, All right. Help me out here. I heard there's even more people than previously were thought to be affected by this information that had apparently had been taken from our Facebook accounts, right? Yes, originally it was 50 million, but then um, the number that came out was 87 million. Now that's the potential. That's like saying as many as 87 million million people have been affected by this. That's Mm. not to say that necessarily 87 million people have been affected, but they're saying that up to that many could have been affected by this. And what kind of information do they have? Now, on the surface, there's a lot of just simple things, just your likes, the things that you post, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get an idea of who you are. And this is a Cambridge Analytica we're talking about, right? Yes. Well, again, that's just one of several, but that's the big one now. And again, remember, this goes back to 2014. Okay. But this is all just coming to light now. And Facebook is only just now starting to react to this, this news that came out. But, you know, they've known about this for years now, literally years. So they're just now going to having to, you know, um, talk about this, and Mark Zuckerberg's going to Capitol Hill on Tuesday and Wednesday to testify before both the Senate and the House about this and to see what comes about from this. But um, <clears throat> what they did is they asked you to fill out a little profile just to get some idea about you. Now, that doesn't sound bad. People agree to do this. However, what they would do is not only scrape your data, but then they also scrape your friends and even your friends of friends' data. So mm. people that didn't consent to this at all had their data leaked or, in a sense, breached to Cambridge Analytica as well as some other advertising companies. 
So now Facebook is charging them for this for this information. Is Facebook making money off of this? Yeah, I mean, again, Facebook. Here's the thing: Facebook is free, and if you use a product that is free, then you are the product. So okay. the, your data is actually their product, and that is actually what they're selling to these advertising companies. Facebook is the number two advertising company in the world. Google being number one. <clears throat> so what they did is they said, here is a list of our, <laughs> of our users, and here is their information. Now you can tailor and market directly to these people, both sometimes they're just ads. But in this case, the big thing is that they were obviously trying to froth up the fear of those people that they, would, that they found would be, let's just say, open to reading this and hopefully sharing this information. Sometimes it's real information, but a lot of times, as we know, it's just complete fake news. Yeah, it seems like the real uh, scandal part of this is that it was used for political purposes versus just commercial purposes. But is it also, that's exactly right. But is it also, uh, I mean, do you give your permission to Facebook to do this when you sign up for Facebook? I don't remember signing anything to that effect, but did I? That's the biggest thing, is that Facebook has been not transparent in their, first of all, nobody reads their licensing agreements. Nobody reads those. Nobody goes through their privacy settings. And um, even if they were to in this case, especially with Facebook, again, we're going to talk about Facebook. They are not exactly entirely transparent with the information that they share and with whom they share that information. So that is obviously changing. And that's the thing that we're going to see, in fact, on Monday and Tuesday, we're going to start to see easier ways to opt out easier ways to protect your privacy. And the biggest thing is we're going to start to see um, where these ads came from. For example, you know, when you hear political ads on the TV or on the radio, they have to say who paid for that ad. They had to say who approved that ad. But on Facebook, they don't have to do that. Now, that is one of the things that might come out from this this week's Senate hearings and so on. Um, However, Facebook says they're going to do that anyway, regardless of regulation. They're going to start saying, hey, this was paid for in rubles by the Kremlin. <laughs> for example, <laughs> you know, had they said that before, I think people would be less likely to absorb and then share and spread this information. You know, so that's the biggest thing is that Facebook knew about this. They were aware of this. We're aware this is happening. And not only were they aware of it, they actually welcomed it because they made money from this. They are a for-profit company and they're a very large profit company but just from this coming out they've lost at this point around 87 million dollars or billion dollars of 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 net worth now i know you're not a lawyer scott but uh did they break any laws or regulations as far as you know with this behavior could this result in big trouble for zuckerberg and his company it could that remains to be seen and again i think a lot under oath he's going to face some serious questions both from the right and the left you know both sides are really upset with him the left obviously because they willingly and knowingly took ads from companies that marketed and frothed up this fear as i mentioned which resulted in what it resulted in i mean there's a lot of evidence that says that you know we have the president that we have as a result of this information spreading from facebook and facebook was completely aware of it, allowed for it to happen, and profited from it. So obviously people are upset about that. So obviously there will be some major changes because otherwise people are going to continue leaving Facebook in droves, at least in the U.S. You know, in developing countries, Facebook is growing dramatically. Facebook has 2 billion users worldwide. You know, that's a third of the world's population is on Facebook. Much of that, however, is in developing countries. 
And again, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, we're torn because we want to be idealistic. Bringing Facebook to developing countries could be a great thing. Bringing information to, to the world, connecting the world is an idealistic, you know, a fantastic thing. However, we're dealing with a little bit of Citizen Kane and a little bit of Matrix here in that, you know, one person, <laughs> one company essentially can control this information and they can profit from it and they can bend it and change it however they want. So, you know, when you have the profit motive involved, things like this happen. And so I think what we're going to start to see is these idealistic ways of connecting the world and making money from it are going to start to get regulated and <clears throat> fixed, hopefully, such that we can connect as a planet <laughs> and be able to communicate. But the biggest thing is, how do we know what news is real? How do we know what news isn't real? Well, that's the thing. They're going to start to say, this ad was paid for by whomever it was paid for. We're going to be able to see that transparency moving forward. Right. And as you said, as this goes into developing countries, it could be insidiously used for nefarious purposes if there isn't some sort of regulation or watchdog put in place. Absolutely. But when you think about it, like, I don't know if you heard of this story back in 2011, there was a guy in Egypt who named his daughter Facebook. Sounds ridiculous <laughs> to us. But because of Facebook, they were able to bring about a revolution and overthrow a dictator. You know, that was something that was really good for the world. Now, since then, we've seen <laughs> that it really worked out. And we've seen that this powerful tool, you know, all things <clears throat> that have this much power obviously have great responsibility and they can be used for both good and bad. And in this uh -huh. case, obviously, we see that <laughs> once we're again, starting to see that it's not being used for good. Once again, the teachings of Spider-Man come into play, as always. <laughs> exactly right. Now, I, exactly one last right. thing, one last thing before we go. I had heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, and that's why you're here, um, that they even had access to cell phone calls that people were making yeah. with this information. On How Android is, devices. How is that yeah, possible through Facebook? When you agree to install their messenger, that actually gave them access to parts of your, in most cases, Android phones. I've heard in some cases Apple, although Apple is much better about security and not letting different apps access different things. <clears throat> in fact, they're even tightening that down even more because of this. But on Android phones, yeah, they had access to your phone. They had access to your pictures. They had access to your messages, your text messages, and so on. So they knew a lot about you. So wow. like I said, it goes both ways. If you're on social media, obviously you have no expectation of privacy. You know, if you're upset that your data was shared because you're on social media, you know, that's, that's just moral panic and you're just being silly. That's like saying, I went outside not wearing pants. Somebody took a picture of me and put it, and I, I can't believe that happened. You know, my mm. privacy was invaded. No, you went outside not wearing pants. Well, the same is true with Facebook. However, when they go deep into your phone calls and your text messages, you know, obviously, and use those for nefarious reasons, that's something that obviously needs to be addressed. And I really think that's possible that Facebook, you know, is going to go through some major changes, including the fact that Zuckerberg may no, may no longer head the company. That, that is one of the things that's been discussed. And as you mentioned, people are uh, complaining, boycotting, protesting, closing their accounts, deleting their accounts, leaving Facebook. But at, with two billion view, uh, users worldwide, is any of that really going to make a dent? Yeah, what are you going to do? Go back to visit your buddy Tom on MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> or, God forbid, talk to my friends face to face. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, again, in America, in, in the West, Facebook has plateaued and has started to drop a bit. But in developing countries, it's not. It's going to just continue rolling. <clears throat> and yes, we have options here. You know, we all have options everywhere. But again, there are people that are 
leaving Facebook and spending more time on Twitter or, you know, let's just say Google Plus. I know it sounds like you haven't heard that in a while, but it's amazing. Actually, I've heard that discussion come back. All I've heard the Google Plus people say, we don't want Facebook users. Please don't come here. <laughs> they like Google <laughs> Plus the way it is. Um, but, yeah, Facebook is going to continue, I think, to drop for a bit. Now, it, we can't predict, but it could be that it just plateaus and then starts going back up again if they make some changes and people actually find that it's a useful tool again. But no, it's been a pretty big one for a while. And a lot of people were dropping Facebook well before this even came about. I've heard of people saying, you know, they deleted Facebook months, years ago because of some of the practices that they started to see. And that these practices that have come out are not a surprise to them. Well, this is all fascinating stuff, Scott, and we will be watching, of course, this week as the story unfolds when we get Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress and hear what he has to say. And if you don't mind, maybe later on the week we can touch base again and uh, talk about some of those things. Absolutely. Anytime, Ralph. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Ralph. Thanks again to Scott for being with me. And if you want to reach out to Scott, you can always go to his website, octechexperts.com. Dot com. That's where you find Scott Prince. Meanwhile, let's take a look at all the entertainment news for today, shall we? As we walk the showbiz beat. Since it's a Monday, let's kick things off by taking a look at the top 10 movies at the box office. We always love to see what people went to see in theaters over the weekend. A Quiet Place came in at number one. No surprise there. That trailer looks terrific. $50 million it made this weekend, making it number one by far. Ready Player One came in at number two this weekend with $25 million. Then Blockers. I guess it's cock blockers, but you're not supposed to say that, right? Because it's just like a picture of a rooster on the poster. Anyway, uh, good reviews, a good word of mouth gave that third place this weekend, $21.4 million. Then Black Panther came in at number four with $8.4 million. I can only imagine hanging in the top ten at number five. Tyler Perry's Acrimony was sixth. Chappaquiddick, the movie about that famous car accident with Senator Ted Kennedy, came in at number seven. Sherlock Gnomes, finally, by the way, tomorrow. I'll be playing for you my kid Olivia's review of that movie. She loved it. I'll give you a little spoiler. Came in at number eight, number nine, Pacific Rim Uprising. And number 10 was Isle of Dogs. Anne Hathaway is firing some preemptive shots across the bow of any potential fat shamers because she is gaining weight, but she wants everyone to know it's for a movie. She shot some pictures of herself and put them on Instagram on Thursday after putting on some pounds for an upcoming film. There's a clip that shows her stretching and lifting weights and doing some other strength training exercises to get some bulk. And she said, I am gaining weight for a movie role and it is going well. To all the people who are going to fat shame me in the upcoming months, it's not me, it's you. Peace, XX. Sounds like she's a little sensitive already about something that hasn't happened yet. And the fact that she has to go out of her way to say, hey, it's just for a movie, means that she is fat shaming people by being ashamed to be fat. Russell Crowe honored his wedding anniversary with his ex-wife, Danielle Spencer, in a very spiteful way this past weekend. He held his divorce auction, where he sold over 200 items of his personal collection. He's got to make some money, you know, to split it with the ex-wife. He said he had a lot of fun putting the auction together. It brought in 7.3 million Australian dollars, which is roughly 2.8 million in U.S. dollars. Some cool things went for auction. Uh, the violin that he learned to play for the 2003 Master and Commander movie. I didn't know this, but it was an actual uh, rare violin sold for $80,000. The body armor he wore in Gladiator sold for $74,000. And a replica Roman chariot from that same movie also sold for nearly 
$50,000, despite earlier estimates that it was only worth about seven. So a lot of Russell Crowe fans came out of the woodwork to uh, be able to buy some stuff, and now he's got a split with the ex-wife. And good news, Arnold Schwarzenegger's out of the hospital. It came out on Friday after his heart procedure. His spokesperson said that he was home and doing incredibly well and said he's got the energy of two people. Yeah, that's right. It's like twins. Ha <laughs> ha. The only problem is I have this big scar on my chest. I wish I could remove it with an eraser. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, because of my heart, I need to watch what I eat. So now I'll be coning the vegetarian. Ah. And finally, let's take a look and see whose birthday is today. All these stars were born on April 9th. Michael Learned, she was the mom on the Waltons. She's 79 years old today. Actor Dennis Quaid is 64. Joe Scarborough, the host of Morning Joe, the talk show host. He is 55 years old today. Cynthia Nixon, soon to be the next governor of the state of New York and formerly from Sex and the City, is 52 years old. Actress and model Paulina Poroskova is 53 Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance is 41 years old today. Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy is 38. Kristen Stewart from The Twilight Films is 28. And Elle Fanning celebrates her 20th birthday. All those stars were born today, April 9th. I'm Ralph Garman. I walk the showbiz beat. And you know I love to check in with our man in the UK, Steve Ashton, for all the entertainment news that's coming out of the UK. Here is today's report with Steve. Mr. Steve Ashton, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm good there, Ralph. You James Bond in the opening of The Spy You Love Me, skiing down the mountain in your tight yellow ski wear. <laughs> I wish. It did not go quite as well as that, sir. Can I, well, I was going to say, can I ask you, at any point, were you going down the slopes going, nobody does it better? No, I was never doing that because right. everybody was doing it better than me, actually. <laughs> well, talking of James Bond, now, last Sunday, of course, was Easter Sunday. But as you reminded us on Monday, it was also April Fool's Day. Now, like you, Ralph, I'm not a fan. I, I'm, I never seem to get it right. I mean, last year, I thought I was being all clever when I told my kids they were adopted. No, not so much. <laughs> no, I mean, it was just the six-year-old got a bit upset for a couple of weeks until I eventually told her. But movie fans were shocked and surprised to hear that Daniel Craig had pulled out of the next James Bond movie and Tom Hardy had signed on to replace him as 007. Now, of course, this was actually an April Fool's joke, and there were some funny reactions from fans on Twitter. But then again, the prank got even better when Hardy himself shared a screenshot from the article, joining in on the fun. And naturally, that further confused his dumb fucking fans, who, with some assuming he'd actually been cast as James Bond. And this is what he wrote on Twitter. Uh, Damn it, I was in my tux on the runway, GTG, I suppose that means good to go, I don't know. And then emoji of a, a spade, a square, 100, an aeroplane, flame, someone dancing, and then what I think is a map of the United States. No drama, GB, RTB, movie camera, US, picture of the US, headed back to NOLA, stood down 19. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe it's my age, but that sounds like fucking Tourette's. Candle tea kettle, doorknob! But the star has even hinted in the past he'd like to play Bond one day, and who wouldn't? I mean, last year he said, you know there's a saying amongst us in the fraternity of acting in the fellowship of my peer group that if you talk about it, you're automatically out of the race. So I can't possibly comment on that one. If I mention it, it's gone. Oh, Tom Hardy, bless you. Uh, James Corden news as well, Ralph. Um, James Corden's dad is also a ball bag. 
Now, he's, <laughs> he's apparently responded to a negative review of the Peter Rabbit movie that I think you and Olivia went to see, right? We did, yes. The TV host and actor provided the voice for the titular Peter Rabbit, which is the first big screen adaptation of the Beatrix Potter book. Not everyone was a fan of the project, though, with the BBC's Mark Kermode calling Corden's performance appallingly irritating. Hmm. Here's a clip. Okay, it's just what you wanted. It's basically uh, from the director. It, it, it's somebody taking one of those much-loved children's stories by Beatrix Potter and turning them into a live-action <coughs> CG animation hybrid packed with action and adventure and crazy slapstick <coughs> and the almost instantly irritating voice of James Corden. Corden voices Peter, naturally, who leads his cohorts into the garden of his arch-enemy, Mr. McGregor. Here's a clip. So Malcolm Corden, James Corden's dad, was not happy with the assessment of his son and sent a letter to the critics' five live radio show yeah, he sent a letter. Welcome to the fucking 21st century, Grandad. <laughs> Kermode's co-host Simon Mayer read the letter out, which said, To hear you describe our son as appallingly irritating was very difficult to listen to. One sincerely hopes that you never have to hear someone describe your child, Corden's 39, by the way, as such, especially <laughs> live on air. And especially it seemed James was the only one drawn out for any criticism. God, and they say millennials are snowflakes. So, Malcolm Corden, I'm sure you won't ever hear this, but to give you some balance on this point, I believe your son is an unfunny, irritating, bland opportunist whose limited personality is augmented by a team of equally shit writers who seize upon any opportunity to push his fat fucking pie-eating face into the zeitgeist. In other words, he's a wanker. (laughs) I've got to go now, Ralph. I've got hot cross buns. It was Mistress Mandy's fault. She went medieval on my ass. Enjoy, sir. Bye-bye. And this week's interview is with my good friend and one of the funniest stand-ups working today, Taylor Williamson, is our guest this week. I'll be featuring pieces of my interview with him all week long. Um, Taylor is so funny and genuinely funny in in, in person as well. But you may remember him, of course, as the runner-up on America's Got Talent. He was also on Last Comic Standing. Been on a bunch of television shows because he's a funny guy. And he sees things in a very unique way. Here is the first installment this week of my conversation with comedian Taylor Williamson. You people are very lucky today because you're going to hear a conversation with a good friend of mine who's one of the funniest comedians working today. Well, he's not working. At least not right now. But he's funny. And so much so that he was almost the winner of America's Got Talent. He had some talent, but not all of the talent to be number one. He came in at number two. You know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Taylor Williamson is here with us today. Hello, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, And I meant that sincerely, that you are one of the funniest comics working. We were talking just before we went on the air that it's hard now to be a comic in a new world of social media where the job has become get the people to buy the tickets versus showing up and being funny. And that's got to be frustrating, I think, as a comedian. Yeah, like... What makes me feel better is hearing like people way more successful than me still do the same kind of stuff. Like, I, I my job is not just to be funny. My job is to sell tickets also. So right. like, uh, I started like doing Facebook ads for like a couple hundred. When I go to a new city, like I put my own money into advertisement. Well, you got to. It's a business expense, right? Yeah, and like, like even in cities where like like some deals I have where I get a percentage of ticket sales and some de- some some deals I have where it's just a flat rate no matter what I'll still put money in on those shows because I want it's the numbers that you 
show or proof for your next booking right. of like how, how many tickets did you sell. Yes. If you've got a sellout in a town, even if you're getting the same rate, whether you sell out or not, it looks good for the next guy who's hiring, right? Yeah. yeah. It is depressing, though, like at, at doing taxes and looking at like Facebook ads, like, oh, my God, I could have bought like <laughs> so many PlayStations with that. Um, let's start at the beginning for you. You started out as a kid. You started out young as a stand-up, right? Weren't you a teenager when you started? Yeah, I started when I was 17 at the... And, and, the, and I'm from San Diego, from Del Mar. You ever go down there? Uh, I, I spent some time down there. My sister lives in San Diego. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, maybe we went to high school together. No, she, she, was, she grew up with me in Philadelphia. <laughs> she moved to San Diego many years later. My dad's in Oceanside. So oh, yeah? So the whole family is down there. So oh, I get fun. down there quite a bit. You yeah. drive by those uh, power plants that look like boobs? I, the San Onofre nuclear power plant? Yes. It's fun. I guess it's one power plant. It's not two. It is. Just two boobs, one plant. If it, <laughs> that's the name of filthy <laughs> You guys, that's the funniest thing that's going to happen for this entire interview. You so. don't have to be fun. I don't want you to feel pressured. I think sometimes when <laughs> comedians do podcasts or interviews, they feel pressured like they're supposed to come and bring material. And that's not how we do things here on The Ralph Report. It's just, it's a conversation between two friends about whatever comes up. And we're going to look at your life and career, but you don't have to deliver material, okay? okay? Well, I'm just curious you're shaming me for you did the bit i didn't do the bit <laughs> you made a joke and then you tell me taylor you don't have to be funny i'm i can't not be funny because i'm a natural gift from god that's right that's the funniest thing you'll hear all day folks um but yeah i grew up in uh, san diego and then okay it, so you're a kid in san diego yeah um, while your friends are out playing basketball or baseball whatever it is they were doing did you have dreams of being a stand-up like even as a kid is that something you knew you wanted to do no i didn't even like comedy in general you were like a kid who, who i didn't like you know, the carson show or i don't know you're, you're you're probably too young to have the carson show but who's, who's leno or who's whoever carson? he was a, he was oh, a, carson oh, daly he's, no he's the host my, of a late night talk show from on CRL. <laughs> um, you didn't watch stand-ups on, on television and go oh that's what i wanted to do no i i mean like I like Jerry Lewis stuff. Like, I wanted to be Jim Carrey in general. Like, I literally, I remember wanting to become him, which makes, I was eight, and I remember seeing some, like, he would have these, like, hour documentaries on celebrities. It was, like, not eat true Hollywood story, but, like, positive style, you right, know? Right, like a bio. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's one on Jim Carrey, and, and like, uh, and like uh, he said, uh, how he became funny, and he would uh, he would look in the mirror all day and make faces and stuff, and then that's how he learned how to do faces. So I'll just do that because I thought, I thought I thought I could become Jim Carrey that way. And so you want to be like a comic actor? Then. No, I just wanted to be Jim Carrey. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It didn't make sense. But I did actually. I did want to be a child actor for a minute. Did you? I really did. And then I, I remember like in elementary school at public school, which is so weird looking back that this even exists or is allowed. But like I don't know if this still happens, but like. We would get sent home like a like a bunch of uh, advertisements to give to our parents, like Scholastic. You can buy books. Oh and yeah, then, like, I still do it with my kid. I get those those flyers all the time. There's a million flyers, and one of the flyers was like scouting for child being a, be a child be, child actor or whatever. You know, I remember I handed it to my mom, just like low key, like, "Hey mom, look, what do you think about this?" And she like she laughed and crumpled up and threw it away. <laughs> that fucked me up. He crushed your dreams. That was like, you? that literally is a scarring moment in my life. Maybe you should have let her know at the time that this was something that was important to you instead of being so awkward. <laughs> about it. You said, mom, mom, you should have run, you should have used some of your child acting skills and run into the kitchen and showed her how important it was to you. Whose side are you on, Ralph? I'm just trying to be helpful, trying to heal your, your childhood trauma. 
I was a successful child actor. I was in um, Alphabet Soup, the play in second grade. Oh, um, congratulations. I, They're still talking about it after yeah? school, yes. I, I played the letter X. And then in kindergarten, not to go back, I'm sorry, the order is a lot of no, order. No, it's fine. But um, we should we can start over if you want. No, no, we're good. Let's just keep going forward. In kindergarten, I was in The Man with Too Many Hats, and myself and Andy Seymour and all the Japanese kids, we played the monkeys. Uh, I don't even, I don't even want to go not, there. That's not, not a racial, racial no, it's, joke? Not, it's, uh, are you Owen Benjamin? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I'm just saying this, the kids who didn't speak English. Oh, who, I see. Who from, I had a bunch of Japanese kids in my school. That's the scary thing about the world we're in. Is that I'm not... I guess I guess forty years ago that would have sounded like a racial joke. I'm not making a joke. I'm just sharing that me and Andy Seymour and if this was World War II, that would be, that would that would crush. That oh would kill him. I'm not doing a bit. I, should I have said me and Andy Seymour and Yota Shinomiya and Seiya, whatever his last name was? And Yuta. why did you have so many Japanese kids who didn't speak English yeah. in your school? It was like four. Oh. One of my best friends was kid Yota, and then uh, I studied Japanese as a child too. And then I went to Japan. And I saw I saw his family uh, like uh, twenty years later. It's kind of special. Wow, this is going to be a random <laughs> series of I'm facts. just trying to show that I'm not, I wasn't making a weird, offhanded, like, outright racist slur. I was, was just, just so weird. Oh, the Japanese kid plays monkeys. It's just, it's just a weird not, thing to say. That's, that's not even, you're, you're gonna, Why were there monkeys in a play called The Man Who Had Too Many Hats Because there was anyway? monkeys who, like, took the hats off the man. Well, they sound helpful. They sound useful because he had too many goddamn hats. I just want to address that there's no racial history of racism comparing monkeys. Oh, oh right. Um, so you... <laughs> Some interest, let's say, mm -hmm. some interest oh. in the show business world, even as a kid. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but then, like, I, my, my brother liked stand-up comedy, and my my goal was to be the opposite of my brother because I was a stupid younger brother, which makes no I, I didn't like music, which makes no sense at all also. And uh, I'm like, this is, I'm just 10, you know? Right, sure. But uh, when I was, like, thir 13, like, uh, I got, like, uh, Jeff Foxworthy's album, Games Were in the Next Play. And like, I think it's the best-selling album, a comedy album ever. Maybe one of, one of his albums is. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> You're a big fan. So you still hadn't heard any comedy then. In other words. I don't know what you're talking. If you lost your virginity to a stick ship, you might be a redneck. They just Fuck that guy. You just come up with that? Yes. That's so good. That guy and that whole crew. Oh my god! All of them? All of them. All the blue collar. Comedy tour guys, oh, shit. fuck those people. What if they're listening? What if they're still? What <laughs> if they're for, this is for the four star generals? <laughs> I don't think there's any danger that Larry the Cable guy is listening <laughs> to the Ralph report. You know, there's a guy who was supposed to be in the group and then he got too big for his britches and then they replaced him with Larry. No, I did not know. He was that. like on the tour and he got, he was just, like, he's a guy that Jeff, Jeff made all these guys, you know? Yeah, I know. And like, apparently Jeff was like, a, is actually a really great guy. <laughs> I mean, you hate him, but <laughs> like, he might be a great guy. He's not, he's not for me. His material, I find it wanting, but <laughs> oh, who am I? I've never heard that wanting. Yes. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, lacking. <laughs> not one, up to snuff. One thing to not lack <laughs> in the bar. Okay. And then, um. I'm gonna stay neutral just in case Jeff Foxworthy. Of course finds you this. should. No, you have to. I think Jeff's... my career is over. So I, I can say whatever I want about anybody now, and I'm safe. Oh, that's what. A, that's but that's where that's that's the secret. I think I, it is a certain amount of freedom in having no career. I'll say that much. <laughs> you can just pretty much do and say whatever you like. <laughs> I've got about six thousand people who are willing to listen to me. That's all I need right now. So you listened to Jeff Foxworthy's album. You said, "Well, if this redneck can do this shit, I certainly can." Well, I so then anyway that this 
this is the I'm so bad at talking. Anyway, I started, that's what I'm here for. I'll guide you. I started liking stand up comedy a lot when I was 16. Okay. And that's when I really got into it. And then uh, I would like quote people's jokes and stuff, and I'd write jokes. And then at school, it's like some guy was like, "That's not your joke. That's an Arj Barker joke." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just quoting a joke." And then I was like, "All right, I'm gonna write my own jokes. I'll show you, you know." And then uh, and then I started writing jokes. And a year later. There was a comedy class. I used to be like embarrassed to talk about it. I'm like, who cares? I took a comedy class, you know? Sure. And uh, I don't suggest anyone ever take a comedy class. But that's <laughs> really. But um, I took a comedy class at the comedy store, and because uh, I was like, hey, I'm under tw- it's 21 and up, and I was like, hey, I'm under 21. If I take your class, can I perform? They're like, yeah. They were oh, like, wow. they were like, yeah, but you can just also just perform. <laughs> Yeah, but if you want to give us like $700 three times, you're welcome to. Did you drive up from San Diego to take a class at the comedy store? No, there's a comedy store in La Jolla oh, in San oh, Diego. Oh, right, sure, okay. So that's when I um, I watched, uh, I got really into it. And I watched Last Comic Standing. I was really inspired. I was like, well, I can do that. <laughs> I honestly been more inspired by people, genuinely, people who are, not, I find they have zero talent, who are successful inspire me more than people who oh, are extremely sure. talented. Yeah, they think, it makes you think you have a shot. Like I listen, And you do. Oh, thanks. No, well, no, I mean everyone, not just you. I mean the big, the big you. Like, not you. <laughs> Why? I mean, it's amazing that for every wildly successful, talented person, there are four wildly successful people with not that much talent, I think. That's about the ratio. Yeah, for every genius actor I see on television, I see four who have popular series who are like, they're just, they're just okay. Either they look great or they were the right place, right time. Or I mean, there's a lot of other elements that play into success in, in the entertainment business. Without cynicism, or maybe with 100% cynicism, <laughs> I think there's more untalented. Or, oh, uh, sure, yeah. Talent is rare. Success is not. My friend, uh, Dan Mintz, very funny, great comedian guy, he, has, he says this. He says... That uh, that uh, um, that everyone gets a lottery ticket out here, and if you're talented, you just get more lottery tickets. That is an excellent point. You're right. Your your chances do increase the more talented you are. But you only need one lottery ticket to win. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, and some people do absolutely. And I also have much respect for people who are untalented. I find to be terribly untalented who uh, survive in this business, too. Because I'm like, they have something. Like, there is a hard work ethic. And, and, I, and they're tenacious, and they don't take no for an answer. And absolutely. And some people get by on sheer, uh, I think, balls and sort of the, the inability to recognize that they're imposing on other people. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. It's true. They just insinuate their way into people's lives and to employment situations, and they... They just don't give a fuck if they're bothering you or not. If if you're if you're if you don't want to deal with them, if you're if you know they don't recognize that they're being rude or imposing, they just keep pushing. And sometimes they get hired so people can stop dealing with them. <laughs> I feel you know so, sociopaths. But I've always been lacking in like the schmooze factor because I'm always sensitive the other direction like i always feel really bad if i feel like i'm imposing on someone so even if a friend of mine is successful or something i have a hard time asking for a job or hey is there anything in that script for me or any of that stuff that other people do with just no guile whatsoever i've never been good at being that guy so i I missed out on opportunities because of that i feel you a thousand percent on that but i've kind of accepted i very accepted that i'm not that guy that very often seldom do people reach down and go taylor uh i would love to help you out Mm. but when i reach up to people with uh a businessman friend of mine put this in my head like like when you ask people for help 
and you can help them too. It's business. You're saying, hey, think of it. Don't think, hey, can you please help me out to be a favor? Hey, look, I'm really proud of what I have to offer, whether it's my talent on your show or it's, I'm trying to sell a show. Your producer, I love to, you're a producer. Your job is to take, I've been meeting with this guy tomorrow. I reached out to him on Twitter who I, I know him. And I'm like, hey, man, I'd love to pitch you a thing. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm coming from a place of gratitude and excitement, not from, oh, pity, please help me out. Yeah. But it, it is that a thing. Yeah. But the things that I've gotten the last few years have been from reaching up to special people who happen to, I, I'm, I'm, I have what you have in the worst way where like people give me their card and said, hey, don't be, don't be shy. Please let me know if you need help. And I, I still don't hit them up because I feel like they're well, just being nice. Well, that's just stupid. I know. <laughs> if someone makes you the offer, you have to take advantage of it. I'm really stupid. Yeah. Thank you, Ralph. You're welcome. So you're 17 years <sighs> old and you've taken your comedy store class. Oh, yeah. And you start performing then there at the comedy store? Well, I took the comedy class and then, uh, and then uh, I started doing open mics and stuff. And then I, I got into Cal State Northridge through nepotism. <laughs> Most people use nepotism to get into like Harvard or like be, work in the White House. Like I had to use that. That's the only way I got into Cal State Northridge. Wow, you really were shooting high <laughs> for real. Like, uh, so like like my aunt's, my dad's brother's wife, her father like started the English department there or something. And she's like, like can you just let Taylor in? And they're like, all right, <laughs> we're Cal State Northridge. You think we're gonna keep him out. <laughs> So like I like yeah I guess so um they needed like non-Armenian people to come to the school so I was like the diversity that's my only racial joke I've made this entire show by the way the Japanese okay. thing they just happen to be I I'll show you photos you gotta let it go oh my the damage God. has been done now I'm the now I'm the racist guy from your podcast. <laughs> Maybe that's what that's the new hook you need. Williamson, <laughs> racist comic. I do need a new hook. Um, well, so. we'll fix your career at the end of the show, but let's keep okay. going. All right. Let's. So you're doing. So was, what else? Open mics. I'm just kidding. You're so. doing open mics at 17. Were you any good? You know what? I had that thing that where you do your first show in front of an audience, and like I didn't invite any friends. People. This is a graduation show. You know, people invite friends and family. I didn't even right. tell my family I was doing it. Like my, my mom figured it out because like moms figure things out, you know. Yes. And uh, but like I was very private about it, and like I didn't need to have my family go. You're not funny because I was very quiet and shy and depressed, probably most extremely around my family, and still I'm probably. They're not listening. My family can't hear. The good thing about this is the first yeah. podcast where I know my family can't listen. That's right. This is, um, Very selective audience. To this show. <laughs> the, my family's Jewish. They're not going to pay money to. <laughs> See, that, that's a racial joke, but I am Jewish. Yes, you understand? I do. I do understand. The <laughs> More Taylor Williamson coming up this week. Tomorrow, you're finally going to get the review that my kid did for uh, one of her favorite movies of this year, Sherlock Gnomes. Johnny Depp stars as a garden gnome detective. Uh, we're going to be playing that for you later in the week, of course, Sex University, the movie beat later on in the week. And if you enjoyed today's free episode of The Ralph Report, make sure you go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up. We'd love to have you be a full-time member of the Garmy here at The Ralph Report. I will talk to you tomorrow once again from Cleveland, Ohio. I'll give you an update on how the show went with me and Kevin Smith doing Hollywood Babylon. I love you. I mean it. Bye.